Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. Raising children is an incredible and fulfilling experience, but it also presents its own set of challenges and triumphs. When a child falls on the neurodiverse spectrum, be it with autism, ADHD, dyslexia, or other developmental differences, navigating the neurotypical world can feel like a constant balancing act for both the child and the parents. Joining me today is Sarah Watts, a mum of three neurodiverse children who will share her personal experiences and insights into this journey. Sarah speaks to the joys and the struggles that come with raising children with neurodiversity, while also exploring the broader societal aspects of inclusivity, acceptance, and support. Okay, Sarah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first before we get into it? Alrighty. Uh, yes, my name's Sarah. I have been married to my husband, Nathaniel, for nearly 11 years now. Uh, we have three girls, um, which is so cool. Someone said to my husband the other day, oh, I'm so sorry, and he just looked at me and he's like, before I was so confused as to why three girls would be something to be sorry about which I love that so I love that we have three girls um Annabelle has just turned seven and then the others will turn one and four in a couple of weeks so we kind of have them all within a six-week gap so we are in the throes of party town over here got countdowns everywhere so um, I stay at home with the kids um and I work casually as well from home what's all happening here yeah busy life hey and three like I have two so three for me is like whoa (laughs) but I'm one of six so I'm like I don't know how my mom did it but I also don't know how parents do it today you know and I was just having that conversation with my husband today because we've always wanted five like five has always been our number and I said some people do just feel so done with two and so done with three or one or whatever number it is and that's completely fine but I said to him like we already have three and I'm like on the one hand, obviously, I'm exhausted all the time and, like, I could deal with a bucket of sleep. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm not at my capacity. Like, I'm not at that natural capacity that others feel like I couldn't handle anymore. I'm like, I think that's pretty cool that we already have three and I'm still not feeling that yet. Yeah, I find that excited that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Some people are just so done and that's cool for them. But I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful that we wanted five and we're at three and we're like, we're still good. Yeah, wow. And you're saying that with a one-year-old. Yeah, as I said, I'm exhausted, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the end goal here, end goal. So what did starting a family look like for you? We had a plan, you know, we, we I mean, I got married at 19, so I was only a young young girl then. Had a plan, you know, wait a couple of years, we wanted to buy a house. Um, we sort of had a timeline that we felt was right for us. And so, yeah, as soon as my niece 
came out, we knew it was going to be around then. But as soon as my niece came out, my first niece, and I held her, I was like, okay, that's it. Let's go. Wow. So um, I did come off the pill a few months beforehand to kind of prepare for that. I never thought that there would be any typical challenges as you think at 22, 21 or whatever. Um, and yeah, it took us about eight months to fall pregnant. Um, partway through, I um, found out I had hypothyroidism and I started on medication for that. And that sort of seemed to trigger things pretty well. It was only a few months after that, wow. which was good. Um, which has not been the case for the others. <laughs> um, it took us then two years to have our, to fall pregnant with our second. Wow. Um, and we had to do um, seven medicated cycles for that. Um, and then it took us two years to fall pregnant with our third baby here. And in the midst of that, we had a miscarriage as well. And they had to be both medicated cycles. Wow. Oh, I'm so sorry. So it's awful. Yeah, and, you know, similar to the conversation we're going to have today about not feeling like I kind of belong in this neurodiverse parenting space, but also the infertility community, right? It feels like if it's not IVF, it's not valid because that's the the hard yards. And it is. It's so challenging to go through any type of infertility, but especially secondary infertility, like already having a baby and then not having full IVF, just medicated cycles. seems like there's just this little gap that people don't know about but it was hard it's hard watching other people have more children and you're sitting here you know desperate for that second or third and having people tell you to be grateful you have one Mm. so that's been a really long hard journey um and knowing that we will be coming up to hopefully having more kids kind of have learned and have gone through enough experience now that i'm grateful for that because as i approach hopefully four and five I already sort of know what's ahead of me. I kind of know what to expect. And there isn't that, why is this happening to me? Why can't this happen? I might, I got a pretty clear idea of what it's going to look like. And only if it were to fall outside of those bounds by a lot, would I start to then really be concerned. Like I'm already settled in that peace knowing we're not going to probably have two under two. That's not our journey. And like, it's nice to have peace with that now um, when you look forward to that. So it's, I learned some great things from it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, now having two neurodiverse children, I'm like, I see it. I see your plan. <laughs> like, if they had have all been closer together, that would have been really challenging. So, you know, the eight, three age gap is what it is. Um, but, yeah, it's been really great to learn lots of good things and I'm content with it. So That's definitely something that I've learned, particularly through talking to lots of different mums and their experiences. And the experiences are so broad. Like there is a huge, um, I guess you could call it spectrum from, you know, and we could talk about things like trauma and what is the definition of trauma and it. And the definition is actually how the woman perceives it and, um, and yeah, and how she experiences it. So, you know, in terms of like things like infertility and secondary infertility and all the complexities that come with that, like we have to make room and space for these families because their experiences are also just as valid um yeah so I love that you've brought that up and it's definitely um a worthy conversation so you've mentioned um that two of your children are neurodiverse so far the third is (laughs) who knows what's coming down that pipeline but yeah two confirmed for now (laughs) and so I know that we were chatting prior to um recording and you had mentioned that 
reading this particular question that I'm about to ask you, you had some emotions come up and I would love you to talk about that if you Mm -hmm. can. But I was going to ask you, what are the additional needs that your children have and how was the process of receiving an official diagnosis? Because I know that can also be really challenging. Um, Yeah, do you want to lead in with that? You talk about emotions and here I am tearing up. What emotions? (laughs) Yeah, um, and it's not, the emotions are not there at all because um, of the actual diagnosis. Like, that's fine. You know, my girls are beautiful and it's completely okay to be neurodiverse, right? It's just being different and we are all different. These are just different brains <laughs> um so my first um yeah there is a bit of hesitation because my first has adhd um combined so she has both inattentive and hyperactivity um and my second has um suspected almost confirmed diagnosed um autism asd so the process for that was it was again been a long journey like infertility you kind of get smarter the second time around but for our first it was just it was difficult because we were just dealing with these meltdowns we were dealing with this behavior um you know we just we couldn't get shoes on her she didn't want to go on the car she didn't want to go on the pram she didn't want to go on a trike she did not want to go on a swing she didn't want to go on anything that would limitate her ability to run and she was a runner and for so long it was just family friends people bad parenting, maybe you're not strict enough, you're not consistent enough, couldn't get her to sleep, like go to sleep of an evening. And like, I would just, I would try something. I'd try it for two weeks, three weeks. We might have a little bit of success and then not. And it's just, yeah, the judgments and the comments that we got and it just broke us. And it wasn't until we had our second and she was about six months old. And I said to my husband, because um, I have, my brother has ADHD My father um, had it, grandfather suspected, cousin has it. So we have a strong family history of it. And I just said to my husband, this can't be normal. Like this can't be, it's our first kid. So you don't know, you don't have anything to compare it to. I had, um, she's got a cousin on either side of her, like a little bit older, a little bit younger. And I'm like, you know, they're not displaying some of these behaviors. And so we felt really alone and I felt alone because initially saying to my husband, I think she has challenges going on. I think there's something else going on here. This is, can't be everyday normal life. And he has come from a background of not wanting to label things, not wanting to put any type of negativity onto anybody. And I remember him just saying, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to box her in. I shouldn't even label like she's fine. It's, you know, yeah, this, I'm sure it's just X, Y, Z. And it wasn't until, yeah, we got to that six, seven month mark of having a second kid and my husband just got so emotionally broken and worn out that he eventually came to me and said, I think you're right. I think we need to go and have a look at getting some help. And that's been the best thing ever to go through for him and for us because we did. I made an appointment that was October. I got an appointment in February. I got a cancellation in February, went to go see a pediatric psychiatrist I went in with all my notes. I'm like every category, I had sensory, I had food, I had <laughs> behavior, I had all the categories listed out. Um, yeah, she basically took my history and um, called the kindy up because we'd been at CNK kindy for a couple, like for a month. This is in 2020 as well, so right before COVID hit. She'd been there for a few weeks, and the kindy leader um, who's been there, she's been there nearly 40 years. So she is very good at spotting <laughs> neurodiversity straight away. 
Um, and through that, yeah, within one or two sessions, we came in for the second session. She says, I'm provisionally diagnosing her with combined, um, only provisionally because she's almost turning four and I don't ever diagnose this young. But this, she was very, and we were very blessed in terms of, again, because it's a spectrum, she was like classical, straight down the line. If you were to open up a textbook, she is that type of ADHD. So that was really helpful for us because um, another family member went to the same person, just a little bit younger, took her daughter in and wasn't diagnosed straight away because she wasn't so clear cut, but has yet got a diagnosis now. So that's just how classical she was because this person wasn't going to diagnose easily. Um, And so then, yeah, next month, kindy shuts down. We're able to continue going to kindy because she had that neurodiversity. Um, I put her under the vulnerable category. I said, she needs to go. She will go insane coming at home here. The behavior just gets out of control. Um, But that was great. And I remember my husband saying to me, then she's now in grade two, preparing her for school. He just said to me, the best thing you did was go and get her assessed because A, we knew what we were dealing with. The relief, the relief that came that we weren't terrible parents. You know, we do a gentle, calm approach to parenting. We try to work with emotions. We, um, yeah, we've tried so hard to set boundaries, uh, but do it with love and to be just sitting here thinking, how are we stuffing this up? Like, how is this so, are we doing such a bad job? So when we got that, it was really nice. It kind of felt like a little bit of a, you know, validation for us that we were actually doing something right. Um, and the people that had made comments, it sort of felt like this whole time you have been commenting on someone who's neurodiverse. Shame on you. Yeah, I hope they eat their words. <laughs> yeah, but also, also, and you know, initially that's how I felt. Now that I'm a few years on, I'm like, I understand your limitations and it's not fair because you obviously don't have awareness, but yeah, stuff you yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Um, and yeah, we got her melatonin. So um, we said we can't get her to sleep. So this this little girl, you would put her to bed at seven o'clock and at 9.30, she'd still be playing in her room and she would force, find her falling asleep or she had fallen asleep, like climbing something. So to the point where her body just was like, I'm physically exhausted. I cannot go on anymore. I will now pass out. The very first night we gave her melatonin, she just rolled over and went to sleep within 10 minutes like most kids did. And again, this whole time, like we are, this was June, so just over four years. And then every night, pretty much since, every night she has it, like that's pretty much what happens. And I'm like, all these years, we just thought we were terrible at being consistent. And her body just simply doesn't produce a natural hormone. Mm. That's it. One little gummy and she just does what she's meant to. Um, So, you know, things like that were just so validating for us, um, so reassuring for us. That was nice. I often find labeling children is such a controversial topic. Um, Mm. This even comes up in, you know, my studies. And I remember this being a a huge discussion um, around just labeling like mental health conditions and mental disorders and things in general. Um, But I am really of the opinion, and this is obviously my opinion, but like, you know, we're so quick, we have like physical health symptoms and we really want answers and we want treatment and we want to get better, particularly if it's impacting our life. And I really see mental health and mental disorders as the same. It's like if we can find the appropriate label, because that's obviously the difference, um, being diagnosed correctly, then we are able to receive the treatment and also that relief and release as well, you know, that release of the self-blame and unpacking all of those emotions and 
than being yeah. able to actually move forward. Um, yeah. So I love that's that right. you guys that's did. Husband, yeah. yeah, that's what my husband said to me when she then eventually went into school. He just said the best thing you ever did for her was go and get her assessed. Mm. He says because now we've got this platform, we know what she's dealing with, we know what to look out for. He's like, and so you're setting her up for success. And he just came back and thanked me. He said, thank you for helping me go through that journey so that now she has everything that she needs. So it was a difference from like, I don't want to label her and put her in a box to that label has now given us the freedom to set her up for success. So my whole, as a mother, I have one word that I try to live by with my kids and it's the word thrive. I want them to thrive in their own way, in their own circumstance, their own capacity. I want, just want them with whatever they have available to give and do, I want them to thrive. And my husband's like, that's exactly what you've now allowed her to do by going through that process. Mm. So it was really nice to see that change and just, yeah, to see that there, it is possible to get a new perspective on it. And yeah, we're so grateful. So that's, you know, that brought us to last year with our second daughter. All of last year, we went back and forward. I think there might be something going on. No, maybe she's just learnt off her sister or... You know, it's just a hard patch. She's three. But we went back and forth all year until the end of last year. I'm like, again, I'm like, nah. <laughs> Same time as my daughter, three and a half. I'm like, no, this cannot be neurotypical. It can't be. Mm-hmm. I said, because if it is, she is the most highly needs neurotypical child <laughs> that I know. Um, and then, yeah, we weren't even suspecting autism. We just thought ADHD, maybe some sensory processing things as well. Um and then, yeah, just a few conversations with a few different people, a few different assessments, went to a pediatrician, kind of piecing it all together. And, yeah, ASD came up and quite strong and potentially PDA mm. on top of that, um, which is a pathological demand of avoidance, which I think they would like to change to, like demand of autonomy um, is, a, is what we'd like to change it to. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Someone note that down and get that changed over, please. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's not demand, demand avoidance. It's basically I want to be able to have, be, have autonomy over my choices all the time, mm-hmm. um, just really intensely. So, you know, I don't want to do that. I will not do that, mm-hmm. basically. Um, yeah, and so, you know, it's been a lot more – it's been different. We weren't expecting that ASD diagnosis. Starting kindy has been really challenging this year. She's really struggled with that transition, so it's been – a very heavy first you know term and a bit of this year Mm -hmm. very heavy we weren't expecting that um it's required a lot of changes in our life yeah it's been quite difficult um the actual diagnosis overall is fine i am very eager to get that final label because you know approaching adhd very different to approaching asd Mm -hmm. you know with my daughter she responds really well to these are the rules. These are the boundaries. We just don't break them because if you do, then you can break them every time. So, you know, these are the things we, we have to do X, Y, Z before we get whatever. She responds really well to that. No, not with potential ASD and PDA. You can you can take those rules and go put them on in the bin because I'm not <laughs> interested. <laughs> and, you know, you're pushing someone who just has um, – a hyperactive brain that's struggling to concept and these rules or, you know, appreciate them and wants to break the rules to someone who's feeling sensory overwhelm in their body and is going to have a meltdown because it is all too much. You're not pushing someone to, you know, very different approach. Mm. So I'm very much looking forward to getting that official label 
I've got all these Audible credits sitting there just ready to buy every book, <laughs> every resource, but I'm just not quite ready to sort of throw myself in the deep end just in case for some small reason it's not. And I've just educated myself on a different neurodiversity. So when we were chatting prior, you had said, was it with yeah. your second child that you felt she didn't fit the typical criteria and so there was like a first. struggle oh it was for your first because of the uh, yeah. the struggle with you know her being able to tick that box essentially yeah it's difficult right because it doesn't come under the ndis it's too expensive basically right. um and adhd has been for many years looked at very poorly the general perception of it is just naughty behaved kids you know, if you just spank them a little bit harder, if you're just a little bit stricter, um, we get comments all the time of like, oh, I'm a little bit, we're all a little bit ADHD, you know. And so then the reality is, is it's, yeah, it's very different. A lot of it's actually just a time. A lot of it is actually a time perception is a lot of the research that's coming out at the moment that I have been reading is a lack of time perception. So for them, you know, time passes really quickly or really slowly. And so... Everything that they do, uh, it's like Christmas Day. You imagine you put all that effort into Christmas Day and it genuinely lasted for one hour and the day was over. You'd be pretty cranky if that's how your life went and you put all that effort in. Same thing as, you know, the opposite of something taking forever. That's what it's genuinely like for them. So when you don't have a lack of image, like, not a lack, sorry, when you have a lack of emotional regulation or a deficit there, you have a deficit of 40% in your executive functioning when time passes quickly or slowly it messes you up (laughs) and that's just not at all how people see ADHD they just see it as behavior and yeah it doesn't feel like we fit into this neurodiversity community in a sense of you know people looking outwards they don't see it as like a disability or as that neurodiversity they don't see it as something because she looks so neurotypical she looks so neurotypical she fits in with everybody else and so even people at school and friends they just yeah, when you have conversations, it just feels very lonely because you might be talking about the same thing, but they just don't get it. Mm. They don't get it. They see your kid just like playing and then you go home and like they don't realize what it takes to get them there, what it takes to take them home. It's just because she looks neuro- so neurotypical, they don't appreciate how much work goes into into that. And there's a lot of judgments just around it being, as I said, bad behavior, mm. bad parenting, and it's just not the case at all. And that perception really sucks. And particularly with females, I find, you know, um, you know, throughout our recent history, particularly with ADHD, it was very much like that naughty boy syndrome that was exactly. talked about. And then, yeah. you know, add the societal and cultural expectations of children uh, and how they should behave. And, you know, children are seen and not heard. And, you know, all of the things that we live Absolutely. under. Absolutely. And I can see most definitely how challenging that is in not only you feeling like a bad parent and taking on all of those comments and judgments, but then also for your child as well. Like how confusing living in a world that expects things of them that they are not capable of. There was a um, research done that says that a child with ADHD will receive 10,000 additional negative comments by the age of, I think it's 10 or 12 yeah, I would believe that. Absolutely. And and, and, and it is. And, like, and I notice it too because I do it myself. 
I'm a part of that because you know it's just you think about it, like stop doing that hop down come over here like okay let's 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 change direction let's try you know that's not okay that's not appropriate having to continually show them you know social norms how it works allowing them space yeah it's 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 really difficult and then not just from me from other people you know yeah it, it it's it's a lot so we're working really hard at the moment in our family just to the way we're talking to sort of let that rain out a lot but that's really difficult you know we had a runner we had a runner and that was so difficult to manage um and people just yeah didn't get it why don't you just pop her in the pram or like just pop her in the trolley <laughs> okay well she will just scream and have a meltdown and then that will mean we can't go anywhere mm. um yeah so it's been it's been quite a journey so what she's now seven so it's been three years now that we sort of had that diagnosis we've been dealing with that you learn like everything else to brush a lot of comments off you learn to distance yourself from people that don't understand it but i was just the other day just in a in a setting where people were talking about their kids and it sort of came time for you know me to maybe share my perspective and i just sat there and thought i don't really have advice on this because i don't know what it's like to have a neurotypical child of that age mm. right if my third which we have two out of three so it's probably not looking good if she's neurotypical, like I have one year experience of that. Yeah. So when I sit around with my friend group or at school, I don't actually, I'm not actually able to relate with them and what they're talking about because I don't know what strategies to use for your kid mm. because I don't know what it's like to not have neurodiversity. That's all I know. Yeah. Um, and that makes me feel really alone sometimes that I'm like, I don't, I don't know <laughs> what you're dealing with. I almost feel like I'm not a parent in that regard because I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to help you. I don't know what strategies, what you would do, because I, that's not my life. Yeah, I, I have so far only dealt with neurodiversity. Do you often find yourself comparing your experience to others in the sense of um, challenges and things like that that other people may not have? Oh, for sure. It's and it's so hard because everyone has their version of hard. Sure. Right. And it's just, it's not a competition in whose is harder, who has it worse. It's, you know, that's a very toxic place to go down. But it is really difficult. As it again comes down to the fact that they look neurotypical. Mm. It's so challenging because, yeah, there's so many other things we have to go through and we have to do that others don't, don't have to. You know, I was just tidying up my house yesterday. <laughs> And I'm just thinking about the workload that goes into it because we're not at an age-appropriate amount of chores over here, right? You take away 40% executive functioning. So you're taking those girls down to more of a four-year-old and a two-year-old age. So you think about what they can actually achieve. You've got a four-year-old age executive functioning, trying to go to school and do other things, mm. just getting them dressed of a morning, <laughs> just getting people dressed and getting them out the door is pretty much their capacity, which means that I'm a mum of three that has to do everything at home. I don't have kids that are helping, even the small things. Can you pick that up? Can you put that in the sink? Can you not? It doesn't matter how consistent we are. You either have a meltdown or you don't, but most of the time you're not going to get those things that you're after. And so it's really hard because, yeah, I mean, the workload on me is really high. I would like some help around the house like we all do, but an age-appropriate amount of help. Mm-hmm. Um, would be really nice when it comes to things like homework when it comes to you know with my second daughter she's a sensory seeker <laughs> the amount of stuff in my house is just stained ruined broken ripped you know 
she wanted something the other day you can have it at six o'clock so she goes and fiddles with the clock on repeat to move the handles and I'm like you're going to break it that doesn't matter I now have a broken clock you know just things like that over and over again that yeah private in our own home but you don't see my husband now works four days a week from home so he can be here to assist because for my second girl that's she's like that's the comfort she's a dad's girl Mm -hmm. so he's here to help with meltdowns this morning I said to him we're spiraling I need your help to get us out the door of the morning so he has to come and help her to get her hair brushed because she doesn't want to so she needs a cuddle to come here just that's difficult for him right because he just wants to go and work and do what he can to help provide and yet he's constantly having to tag out it's a bit better now that our daughter's one but this whole last year she has been physically unsafe with her so instead of just enjoying this, I, I couldn't leave my baby alone with her. So I would have to, before she would learn to unlock the door, I'd have to put my baby on the bed just to go to the toilet and lock the door so she can't get in there. Mm. So it's, it's a bit better now because if she drops her, she's fine. But yeah, I couldn't couldn't leave the room. I, you know, I had to take her. So carrying this baby around absolutely everywhere with me because she's unsafe otherwise because she doesn't understand her spatial awareness. So she's too strong with her, too rough with her. Um, I said the sensory and impulsivity is just really high. So it's just really intense on our little one. So, you know, that's been a huge, huge year trying to constantly separate them and basically save my daughter's life all the time. Mm. There's days where I wake up or I said, I will just quickly duck to the toilet and I'm going to the toilet thinking, geez, I hope my baby doesn't die. Geez, I hope she's not going to die in this two minutes. It's just because, you know, she would feed her feed her food. I want to help feed her. I want it because there's just not that awareness there. Mm. And I said, we're not talking about behavior that's like gotten better. The only reason it's gotten better is because she's gotten bigger. Yeah. Not because my daughter's behavior has changed. Mm. And that comes with so much work, so much effort. It's like, yeah. you know, motherhood comes with this really intense mental load but having children with extra needs it's like this adds on top of that already hectic mental load yeah yeah she will you know do things like put her on the couch put her on the couch put her on the bed um because i don't i don't know why i don't know all the reasons why because it gives her attention because she thinks it's funny because she has a lack of awareness but then you have this little tiny baby that's sitting on a couch she's 100 percent going to fall off and smash her head on tiles and that will happen anytime you leave the room that's the perfect opportunity so it makes those days at home, if she goes to kindy, it makes those days at home just so long because that's all you're doing and you can't get other things done. And, you know, there's a difference between not being able to get other things done but trying to work and do that. Like I said, the load is just so heavy. We don't have family support close by. We don't have people that can regularly vis- visit, babysit, none of that. Um, so, yeah, definitely does make you feel... Oh, what's the right word? I'm trying to think. Makes you feel alone. Mm. Because I said we're dealing with this on an every single day basis and they just don't get it. And and how could they? They're not experiencing and they don't know. Just like I don't know what it's like to have neurotypicals, they probably don't know what it's like to have neurodiversity. And so it's not fair on them to anybody, family, friends, to understand that, but it does. It makes you feel so alone. People don't want to babysit our kids because they're hard because they don't know what to do they don't know how to handle the meltdown so we don't have people that are offering we probably have family that could but we don't ask we don't ask because we kind of know they don't want to Mm. and that's not what you go into motherhood thinking that life is going to be you obviously don't know you're going to have neurodiverse kids you don't know what the struggles are going to be um and so 
yeah, you know, it's a lot on our my husband and I to have to work through that. Mm-hmm. It's not a journey that we anticipated. So you, you've really talked about some of the challenges. Um, I did want to ask what what is maybe the biggest challenge for you um, raising children uh, with neurodiversity, but then also mm. the rewards that that also can bring. Good question. The biggest challenge, the biggest challenge is probably having access to information mm. that is going to help our kids. You know, my daughter yesterday went and spoke to the teacher and she had to go to reset class because she was just not coping in the middle session. And while her teacher is great and understanding of that, and my daughter hates having to go to buddy class or reset class or whatever it is, I said to the teacher, this seems to be happening more and more. You know, do you think this is becoming, it's getting worse? Like, oh, I don't know. Because, you know, at the moment she's not medicated. She's actually, been, they like them to be 20 kilos and my seven-year-old is not that yet. She is tiny. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not really been a possibility for us for a number of years, even if we wanted to. We haven't really had, fully had that discussion on how we will approach that. But I'm like, you know, do we see a psychologist to work on some emotional regulation side of things? You know, she doesn't get access to anything. So that will be, you know, yes, you're a couple of rebated sessions, but then everything else is out of pocket from there. Mm-hmm. Um, Because there's no NDIS funding for her. I'm like, do we, um, does she need to go on medication? Do we, is she, is she struggling to go to school too much? Is it just because we've had a bunch of public holidays, you know, and because the routine's been thrown out? Which one is it? And it's like that common thing with parenting where you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. I hope I am. But this is setting foundations that have, you know, huge consequences if you don't get right, Mm -hmm. right? If we don't get our second girl ready for school properly, and it's not an enjoyable experience when she starts, that can turn into school refusal and that can turn into a very dangerous path that you go down. So we don't have a lot of margin for error here. Um, This will shape the way that they think about themselves and their capacity. And so when I go online or when I go onto Instagram or whatever it is to try and find somebody that might be curating content for me, I don't feel like there's content that fits my girl specifically. You know, it might be a generic ADHD or a generic ASD, but I'm like, I want to know what my girls need. Who do I go talk to? I can't go talk to my mum group. Hey, my daughter's going to reset class. What do you think she needs? What do you think is the best course of action? You know, how do we fit that in? Who do I go to talk to about that? Go back to her pediatric psychiatrist, which is $400 for a half hour appointment. That's just insane, isn't it? Where, you know, where do you want me to Mm. go and access that? And so that's really frustrating that... We're attentive, we're involved, we're ready to go, and I don't have that information. There's just a big old question mark there because I said a lot of that is new information, you know, ASD in girls. ASD in a not even four-year-old girl yet, that's not showing your typical symptoms or signs. I'm not going to find that at school pickup. (laughs) I'm not going to find that on Google. I haven't. And so that just frustrates me because... Um, you know, I'm someone who wants to solve problems. You give me a problem, I'm going to solve it. And so having these big question marks and having to just make that gut decision, that sucks. Mm. That sucks not having access to that information that I know is right. And I don't have just someone I can go to who's an expert in it and just ask them specifically about my daughter. It just doesn't work like that. And that part really sucks. The rewards of it. Oh, man. When you talk about, what is that word, that M word you talk about when you become a mother? Matrescence. Matru- matrescence, yeah. The 
person that I am. I'm so blessed because I'm at a point now where, you know, my daughter's having, the other day she had a meltdown at the park, she started hitting kids and she'd had enough and she wanted her dummy because that's her like emotional regulation. And so I pulled it out of my pocket and I just sat right in the middle of the park and this was a park opening. So the, you know, local council was here. There were hundreds of people and I sat in the middle of this playground in front of everyone and I held her and just let her cry and have a meltdown and she was just sobbing. And this was a different one where normally she's aggressive and doesn't want me. This was like a help me mum. And I sat there and I looked up and there were just parents everywhere in front of me just seated and looking and I just I could not care less I actually felt proud of myself I'm like I am doing the most important work on a Saturday afternoon I am right here with her and I could not care at all what anyone else is thinking I don't care at all what's happening around me the only thing that is important is this and she has every right to be here in this moment experiencing it right here in front of everybody she's entitled to this part of the playground I don't need to move for anybody I don't have to answer to anybody right this is our space and I'm going to protect it and I you know and then when she was okay I got up and like you ready to walk to the car she was like yep and we walked off and there wasn't any thoughts to who might be looking what they might be thinking oh and the freedom that comes with that I didn't have that with my first with my first it was like oh my gosh stop that people are looking like you shouldn't be behaving like this whereas now I'm like again it's just neurodiversity it's just being different this version of different is okay this version of different is perfectly okay mm. and it's just such a nice place to get to because the person I am now and so just having that for me and my girls means I have that for other people and I just I am so grateful for how much I have personally grown and what they have been teaching me my my second daughter in the last six months nine months has stripped me bare <laughs> and I'm just so grateful for it mm. I often find too um, with neurodiversity they look at the world through a different lens and it kind of forces you and I have quite a few friends now who've been diagnosed with um, ADHD in particular Mm -hmm. but um, yeah like just the way that they perceive the world is very different to someone who's neurotypical and so it forces me sometimes to be more present because I find that they are far more present Um, and I actually find that really beautiful and amazing yeah I just said to my husband I think it was Monday night I just said to him because we were telling scary stories and my daughter's like legend says that and I'm like legend says who are you like you just turned seven but I just said to my husband she is the type of person that will make the world a better place like whatever she does she said for a few years she wants to be an ice cream truck driver just wants to hand out free ice creams to people I'm like sure sounds great but I just said whatever she does like whatever she does she'll do it so well and passionately whether it's writing kids stories or it is an ice cream driver or it's, you know, she, a vet, like whatever she does, she will do with so much passion mm. and she will just make the world such a better place because she's such, and I said to him, I hope it's not just a young kid thing and I hope it's a Annabelle thing because her passion and love for just life and energy and, you know, everything is so exciting to her and this is so fun to be around. Um, it is exhausting. Like this morning I just said to her, like, there has to be some break in all the talking that happens like it just just a short I, I mum needs a pause break I say like, okay because it just it will just continuously mm. come out of her <laughs> mouth but everything everything is so exciting and the most fascinating thing in the world and like that's just so awesome to see yeah I, I love that 
you know, I love that my daughter will, my second daughter will go to bed with shoes on because she just loves shoes. Heels, heels, those, those plastic princess heels. They just have to come everywhere with us. And I just look at it and I look at her walking around and I'm like, this is so impractical. And it's just the most beautiful thing to see. It's, it's great when they can just be themselves. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So you mentioned that you would love to have more children. And yeah. that is a hope for your family. <laughs> I, yep. I'm just curious to know what the additional complexities are growing a family with children who have high needs. Like, That's a great question. Yeah. Um, it's actually been, yeah, it's been interesting. So when you had one, you had two, like we already had our third before we kind of got to this diagnosis for our second. So now actively wanting to go back for a fourth, there's been some discussion, some chatter happening around us that, you know, we're not caring about our kids by choosing to have more. Um, anytime we might put our hand up and say, hey, you know, we're struggling a little bit or life's been a little bit hard today, even if it's just to vent or verbalize that and that's all the support that we need it's like well then why would you go and have more Mm. and so instead of there being this excitement around the possibility of us having another one and you know there'll be more family to love more kids in this life there's this kind of dark cloud looming over it that this is a bad idea and a bad choice and yeah we're not giving the kids that we already have what they need and that sucks because I would like there to be joy and excitement as I head through more fertility treatments coming up to add to our family. Uh, So I don't love that. The other side of it is, statistically, (laughs) we already have two neurodiverse. Um, The statistics on a child, a younger sibling having ASD, if you have one, another one with ASD, is high. Mm. And my first beautiful at this point she is the same as all the others but she exhibits behaviors that are really similar to our first already just you know I want to stand in my high chair I want to stand while I'm in the buggy like I don't want to be contained I want to run and be free stuff that initially you thought was really cute that turned out to be neurodiversity so the reality is like we could be signing up for five ND kids and that's yeah that's right and you know you might get one that's maybe a little bit more milder than the other but you also they might get one that's more severe so as we head into this it's not this enjoyment of like oh cool let's just have another one let's just have another one it's like oh gosh we're gonna do it but it's sort of like buckling in for a roller coaster of like you know what combination of genes is gonna pop out of this one Mm. and that's not as exciting that's not you know that's not what you plan for that's not what you think about um yeah and so that's a sad conversation and you know my husband has said a couple of times now like just checking we're 100% sure this is what we want to do and that's just such a sad prospect you know if I had to stop now like if I didn't have any more children now I would be absolutely devastated I would have to go through some serious grief because I 100% feel like there are two more babies up there that I want home with me here and so I would be devastated but it's such a sad feeling to I said it was different I don't know because I've never had neurotypical kids so I don't know what it like what it's like to have that but it's a sad feeling that we might just be in for more hardships Mm. a combination we're not aware of but that's sort of what it feels like we're signing up for statistically 
Um, and so, you know, it might be okay, yeah, we can get through it, but what will they be like as adults? You know, we hope to have a family that would all come home and bring all the kids and we would have 50 people at the table on a Sunday dinner. Are our kids capable of getting married? Will they be able to have children? Will that be something that they are, like, even, I mean, diversity indeed capable of doing? What impact has this had on your relationship? I imagine mm. there would be an impact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's brought us really close together because it's it's the two of us. Wow. It's the two of us. You know, as I said, we don't have a lot of support um, available to us. So it's, like I said, if it's me and you, this is, this is it. And so we do everything together. Mm you know, we, which is a good and bad thing. Everything we do, you know, Saturdays, Sundays, public holidays, there is no, you know, he's off having boys time and he's off at the gym or I'm off here. This is the two of us. We're best friends and we hang out. The flip side with that is you can only push two people so far with young kids who are melting down, who you know, are having their struggles, you can only push people, two people so far before it gets to a point where, you know, you kind of turn on each other. And we hate it. We hate it because there will be some times where we will get into a bit of an argument or a bit of a fight and we're looking at each other going, this is only happening because we are exhausted mm. and we have no one to tap out on. And I'm like, I'm not upset with you because you haven't done anything wrong and you're trying your best and I understand that and I haven't done anything wrong and I'm trying my best and we're both completely aware of that. At the end of the day, you've got two exhausted people that don't have anyone else. And so there, you you know, you get frustrated with each other. And so I hate and I say to him sometimes, I'm so angry right now that we're fighting because we have like special needs children or we have neurodiverse children. I'm so annoyed that that is impacting on our relationship because if it weren't for that, we wouldn't. We have a really great marriage. We've worked so hard to get to where we are. It's obviously been a long journey like it is for everyone, but we have deliberately, like everything else, put in really hard work. And so we're enjoying the fruits of that. And so it's so frustrating when that comes in between us, mm. when that burden and when that parental responsibility impacts our marriage. You know, mm. And we are, we're exhausted. We're exhausted going to bed. You know, you have kids waking up, like, it's, it can just be really taxing on our relationship. And so we do work really hard and we're really protective over that. But I said, there's, there's a limit. No matter how hard you work, there is a limit Absolutely. to what people have. And that, it goes in ebbs and flows, but that definitely is impacted. And that sucks because it actually has nothing to do with us. Mm. What other impacts? Because I imagine um, there would be a heavy financial cost, particularly through the diagnostic process. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yep. We, uh, we have a $600 ADOS assessment coming up that has a $50 rebate. Wow. And I'm just hoping that this will be enough testing. That doesn't include the two, um, you know, two, three, three, four private pediatrician appointments that we'll have to pay for because if I want to go through the public system, I'll need to wait two years. Mm. I don't have two years to wait. So we um, put it November and I have a child health nurse appointment uh, this Friday and that they will chat to me I'm still in the public system they will chat to me about it um, her and we'll have a look at her and then then they will take that to the hospital to then triage me into what category I am and then the three to six six to twelve twelve to eighteen month mark will then start she's not going to get 
anything probably higher than like she'll get the third tier I imagine because it's not as emergent as others mm. so that's a 12 to 18 month mark and we've already been waiting six months so you know we're waiting six months just to see someone for them to say oh cool why are you here mm. so you know it there is and the, the amount of stuff that my second daughter breaks oh my gosh yeah true oh man just like the, <laughs> just the replacement home. yeah the replacement costs and stuff the extra yeah it's it's intense so financially absolutely um as i said if we want to get any assistance for our first daughter there is no extra assistance there for us um so yeah all of that comes at a cost financial probably though is the least of my concerns in terms of cost that it comes at right it would be the like personal cost. So for myself personally, um, when we went through that process of getting my first, getting to that point where we were like, we need to get her assessed. I also was really struggling with my eating, something I had always struggled with. And so that was October. So come January of 2020, I said to my husband, I need to make an appointment. I have to go see someone. This cannot be a willpower issue went in and within my first appointment was diagnosed with an eating disorder and that came because my husband used to work in the city an hour commute each way so you know he was gone from 6 30 to 5 every day i had no family i had a six month old i couldn't go anywhere with my first because she was a flight risk she would run she was tiny she could fit through and she would be gone so we just couldn't go anywhere I couldn't go anywhere. I had a baby and a pram or in a carrier. I just put her in the carrier because I'd have to run with her wherever. There was no way of containing her to the point where people, security would find her in the shops, bring her back to me, and then people would clap sometimes. Oh, my gosh, they're reunited. And my response is like, let's get in the car. Come on. Like, yeah. this is old hat behavior. This is the 20th time we've been reunited in the last few weeks. <laughs> like, I am love that you're all clapping, but, like, thanks. Can we go now? just so mellow over it because this is so common so because of that just not knowing what was going on it got so intense yeah I got an eating disorder and that was a huge journey I spent two years in therapy with that I said it's probably always sitting there but just having a child that I didn't know how to help I didn't know what was going on I didn't have the right support system around me yep so you know trying to help a child emotionally regulate having two kids and at the time I didn't know my second was ND and here I am to not binge I have to be able to ride the wave of emotion I'm not sure if you've ever tried to do anything with kids but there is no time or capacity to do anything for yourself so here I am trying to ride these huge moments while I have this child screaming at me for something one of them needing something is it was really challenging Wow. It was really difficult. So, you know, to ride out and finally, like I'm thankfully now in in recovery for that. So, yeah, that's not something that will ever go away. Mm. And so I have to be really careful and watch myself, watch with my kids, you know, to, to look out for signs of that. But also because just like even having that awareness within yourself when you're, you know, so flustered or you're, you know, giving everything you've got in the tank to your kids to then have to check in with yourself and see where you're at so that you can process what's going on inside yeah. like it's a whole or I could just or I could just eat yeah <laughs> or I could just grab a snack like we all do on the way through yeah. and just eat yeah yeah absolutely so you know I got to the point where I put on 40 kilos 
Wow. In a year. Yeah. So I finished end of 2020. I finished with a miscarriage with a genetic finding out I had a genetic condition in my back that stops me from being able to basically exercise and I was 40 kilos overweight and I'd done a year of therapy and my therapist's like I don't know what else to do like you have unpacked and done everything so you know that was a really challenging journey to go through at the same time as you know figuring out finding out you have neurodiverse kids and wow. yeah trying to put that all together so and, you know, and that doesn't stop. It gets better. It gets better. But, you know, this year I said to my husband, like, my husband used to run. That was his thing. He'd run. He's run some marathons. And I just said to him the other day, you know, we, I, am, I am not going to the gym. I am not having alone time. I am not eating regularly. I am not hydrating properly. I am not showering as regularly as I should. Like, no part of my routine. I haven't had breakfast. What is the time now? It's 11 a.m. I have not had anything to eat or drink today. It's just not you know this is not even on my radar because I said just to simply get out the door for two drop-offs with a baby etc is just the last thing and that's what I said to my husband that is the cost that it does come at and it's not sustainable and I understand that I'm holding on at the moment for the fact that you know this diagnosis will come and we will sink into she's got NDIS support now so as we try and start hours of therapy per week which are impossible to fit into a schedule when she's not home part of the week because of kindy to get her ready for school you know yeah all those things go out the window and so yeah I you know I have not brushed my hair this morning I have not done anything to get myself prepared and ready and we do often sacrifice that but this isn't a choice you know when my kids sometimes get up at 5 a.m., there is no get up earlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spend a couple of hours getting ready. It's not a thing. My girls are light sleepers. If they hear life going on, <laughs> they are genetically programmed with FOMO. They will be here. <laughs> it is, it is, that is, that is, my husband will confirm that our kids have FOMO. So it's, it is really taxing. So watching him too these last few months, Watching him lose some of his routines that he has is very basic, very simple. He does not ask for a lot. Watching him be absolutely stretched thin as well mm. has been really hard. I've actually been quite angry over it uh, because some of the people I thought that would be around us haven't been um, or people want to come and they just want to hang out. Let's go to the park. Let's go and do something fun. And I wonder, where are you in the hard times? Right, you just want to go out on a weekend and enjoy our kids for a couple of hours and then we go home and deal with the meltdowns. And you get to enjoy our family at their best, but you're not here when it's at its worst. Mm. You're not checking in. It's, very, it's been really difficult watching my husband have his struggles and I have my struggles. And even though we struggle, I'm pretty good with staying on top of it all anyway. Like, I'll find a way. And that's why we have peeled back. We have peeled back from heading out with some of our family because I don't have time to spend time with you. I only have time to keep everything moving here, right? We will sacrifice whatever we need to to keep things afloat here. So, you know, the house is tidy and organized and we're on top of it. I'm pretty on top of, you know, work and schedule. It is very, like I have to manage it straight down to the T. Every part of my waking day is basically spent actively working on something. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that because that gives us the result that we want. But it just means that, yeah, we've had to cut out some personal things. And so that tax at the moment, I know that it won't last forever, but that p- 
personal tax at the moment is very high mm. and that's been very hard for us just to lose your fitness and your livelihood and social like everything is very difficult do you feel like there is this conversation missing when we're in the motherhood space um particularly talking about mums who are raising children with disabilities or neurodiversity like do you feel seen Oh, absolutely. I mean, I sit around a table with my friends or family, whoever it is, and I am just not a part of that conversation. I'm, I don't, I don't fit into it. Um, a lot of it, just because it is, it's really hard. And I said we all have a version of hard, but I don't know. It feels like it's a hard that's not coming because we're not putting the effort in. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. It. Um, I said people will talk about oh this is going wrong or this is happening and you know you validate their situations but there's just such a they don't understand mm. and so I just stopped talking about it yeah. I stopped talking about it. I had someone at school say to my other friend I'm so overhearing about her daughter and I'm like this is I normally always how is your day how are you going following up on xyz how is this how is that where are you at with this how are you coping what can I do to help and then just a little bit, I started sharing, like, oh, we've had a really hard day today. And it was like, oh, I'm overhearing about the same issue. I'm like, well, it, I'm sorry. She didn't just go away overnight. Oh, <laughs> that I'm kid's so still sorry. here. <laughs> and so I've just learned just to peel back. I get really selective with who I talk about or share the struggles with mm. because, as I said, because they look neurotypical and because there's, they obviously can't understand, it's just it's not worth it. They don't get what I need out of those conversations. So then what would you want others to know about um, mothering and raising additional needs children? Hmm, That's a good question. I'm not sure I've thought about that. Probably the first thing that comes to mind is just to ask questions. Ask questions and as much as people want to try and relate to make you not feel alone it's actually the validation so if I say it's so hard doing homework I don't actually really want to hear yes I know it's we find it really hard here too I know you will find it hard I'm saying we find it hard because my daughter physically can't concentrate or has to repetitively jump next to me actively be moving to get her homework done it's really difficult at the end of the day when you're overstimulated to have a child bouncing around who has to take, I'm talking every two or three minutes at the end of the day, has to take like pause breaks to come back and forward and you're taking forever. I have another friend who has three autistic kids and she said it takes her hours to try and do the homework, but she says if she doesn't, she feels like she'll fall behind because mm. he's already behind in school. And so she's like, I'll feel like a bad mum if I just let him go and play, which is really important for them to do also. So we fight this battle of, making sure our daughter gets enough playtime in because that's so important. And so when I, we share that with other people, or when I share that with other people, I know they want to be nice and relate and make me feel not alone by sharing it's hard for them too. But it's just, it's a different type of hard, yeah. right? It's a, it's a, this is an everyday type of hard. This is a, my daughter can't help it type of hard. This is her brain not allowing her type of hard. This isn't a, you know, oh yes, my kid doesn't like to go to bed too, you know, it might be a short-term thing for you. And it feels sad because I don't want to invalidate that. It's just that if you're specifically asking me about my journey, I want more questions so you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. When I say my daughter, you know, 
will not put her seatbelt on and her dad has to come out every day to put her seatbelt on. I mean it. Every day, every time, will not, does not matter what you do, what game you play, what evidence or, you know, fun story. I said to one day, let's go on a rocket ship. We're going to go, quick, put your seatbelt on and we're going to fly down the hill and we're going to fly off on a rocket ship. And here I am like at eight o'clock in the morning trying to be excited about a rocket ship. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, I don't have the energy to be pulling out for this. Deadpan, no response. Had to get her dad to come out, put the seatbelt on. And then as we're driving down the hill, she's like, woo, blast off. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, and it's just, yeah, I just don't think that's seen enough. So I would just love for people to ask more questions like, what do you mean? Tell me more. What is that like? And when I say this is the repetitiveness to be like, wow, to look at it through not a comparing eyes, but like I'm going to see you for your struggles and try and take the comparison out because I can promise you our two seven-year-olds who go to school in the same grade are not the same mm. kid, do not possess the same abilities, even though some of it sounds very age-appropriate or sounds very common, it's not the same. Empathy goes a really long way, even just a little really bit of it. Really long way, <laughs> really long way. <laughs> My Absolutely. last question for you, Sarah. Um, I'm actually really curious to know what did you know or not know about these conditions that you know now Mm. or that you wish you had known I guess Uh, was it because I grew up with a brother with ADHD um, I knew that they can be annoying (laughs) (laughs) because a lot of his traits used to drive me insane Um, so but yes I, I mean I grew up with the era too my parents didn't um, didn't talk to the school about the fact that he had ADHD just let him ride it out and because it was so frowned upon he would have been targeted and that was it right he would have had a label so you know I'm very taking a very different approach to that so I knew a little bit about it um, I knew what it looked like but it's been great because now I look at my brother and I'm like all right yeah like I get your behavior and so I know how to con- you know connect better with him mm. because I understand what he's doing um, and why he's doing some things. ASD, um, was that I have a friend who has a couple of boys with it. So they are older than my second daughter. So I have watched them go through it. I have a couple of people at church that have quite severe um, or present severely with their ASD. So it's something that I have a little bit of knowledge of. But as my friend was saying to me, I have the media portrayed version of autism. I have your classical male, you know, nonverbal version in my head that is portrayed in the media. We've just started watching The Good Doctor because mm. we're like, well, we've seen a couple of episodes before. But we're like, now that we're on the autism track, let's go back to that. And a few episodes in, there's another autistic person that comes in. And again, they both present quite severe in their, um, in, in their ca- capacity. And my friend said to me, the majority is most people just fall in the middle somewhere. And so that's what I'm learning about now is the middle ground. Mm. The most people, I said the one in 20 that you probably wouldn't know or they don't even know. That's that's the area because a lot of it's just that severe struggle, the media portrayed, the textbook, whereas I'm really getting into the nitty gritty gray area now of what it all looks like. Mm. Honestly, I take my hat off to you, Sarah, that you are just so strong and maybe that's not even the right term because I know sometimes you just don't have another choice, 
Um, but I appreciate your vulnerability and for being so willing and open and sharing your experience and, you know, all the complex emotions and nuances that come with it. And I really have enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much just from hearing you talk about it. And, you know, I am very pro raising awareness for these things. So thank yeah. you. No, I'm really grateful to have that opportunity. I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, it feels hard because when you talk about neurodiversity, there's a lot of a diverse range of that. Mm. And so it does feel like this isn't a space that I sort of feel like I belong in or my kids aren't disabled enough um, to feel like I warrant to have this conversation. But as I said to you, like, this is just my truth, my journey. Um, and it's difficult, right? Because, I mean, I hear you say those things, but this is all I know as motherhood. Mm -hmm. I don't know neurotypical life. This is, so my girls, while I do find it really hard because I'm like, oh, they're not doing the things that your kids are doing. And this is really hard. This is all I know. And so for me, it's just a beautiful motherhood journey, right? Like it is hard, but I'm absolutely loving it. And I said, I don't, I don't know any different. And I may never know any different. I may always just be an ND mum and that's the way that it is. And that's perfectly fine with me. Yeah. I actually think your acceptance is probably what's admirable and that you've just let it consume you and you're like, this is who I am and this is how it is. I mean, I've just had a lot of experiences with fertility. There's no amount of being angry is going to change that, that stick to have two lines. Mm. I have three girls, so there's no amount of hoping or potentially wanting a different gender is going to change the fact that you have three girls that have popped out <laughs> and there's no amount of wanting or trying to change the fact that they're going to be ND. Like it, I have just been told, you know, I said with PCOS, thyroid, eating disorder, it doesn't matter what has come, this is the way life is. And that radical acceptance is what I worked so hard for in therapy for two years to accept it. So come what may and love it. And that's what I'm working on. Oh my goodness. What a way to end. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode. Thank you.